The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, I want to tell you I am stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer this 2020 season with the Bench with Bubba podcast joining the Rotoballer radio network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball players their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer 2020 MLB Draft Kit is live, and all Bench with Bubba listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's Draft Kit by using the discount code Bubba. Rotoballer is home to the number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers, and busts. More than 300 2020 player outlooks and tons of in-season tools. All this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with a discount code Bubba. Just go to rotoballer.com backslash Bubba and get your draft kit today. They have tons of great stuff and you get premium with promo code Bubba, DFS, all the goodies. Use promo code Bubba, sign up at Rollerballer, get an extra 10% off with promo code Bubba. Now to tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba. everybody to another episode of benched with bubba episode 298 we have baseball it has finally officially happened we kind of hinted at it on the last episode with toby it's here but uh we have baseball to talk about we have some strategy to talk about and in order to talk strategy and different ways to analyze players and all kinds of cool stuff i am honored and literally looking forward to having a first-time guest on the show the one the only Phil Dusso, I remember to pronounce it correctly. Find him on Twitter at PhilDusso27. He is a 2019 NFBC main event winner, 8th overall. 2019 Memorial Day League winner, 10th overall. 2019 Draft Champions League winner, 14th overall. So he knows a little bit about this stuff, I'd say. Phil, how are we doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. It's I a great intro for putting pressure on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, trust me. It's uh, those are, That's quite the... Um, 
the ledger, I should say, that you have there. That's a, quite the resume. That is outstanding <laughs> stuff last year. How long have you been uh, playing in the NFPC? Um, not a, not very long. I actually started in 2017. Um, I actually never played fantasy baseball before that. Um, and then I played fantasy football when I was a kid. I had my own website at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really into fantasy football. And then I think three years ago, I heard Chris and Jeff talk about the NFBC on their SiriusXM show. Uh, so I'm like, this sounds really fun. It seems better than football, more strategy, more stats. So I joined two main event leagues, leagues that year. Um, and surprisingly, I finished 12th, or, 12th overall my first year. So I'm like, I got all this figured out. This is easy. I can, <laughs> I know how the main event works. And then the following year, I did four leagues and I didn't cash in any of them. So it was <laughs> back to reality. <laughs> yep. That's baseball at its finest right there. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that's baseball, fantasy baseball, any way you look at it. It's, it's one of those games and like, you know, someone like, I guess I'm technically in the analyst column and you're, you're well, well smarter and advanced in the uh, analytical breakdown than I am. But one thing that, that people, most people that do what we do and talk about it and play the game like we do, we understand how you can know what you're talking about. In the end, the end result, it's out of your control and it's just the way it's going to go. Not everybody understands that, but uh, you just gave the perfect example going from 12th overall to nothing to then you backed it up again in 2019. It's just a nice roller coaster ride of fun that we do in fantasy baseball. Yeah, we talk so much about the draft. We put so much time into it, all the rankings and everything. But basically half of it is fab in season and it's figuring out who to stream, who to start. And that you, you, you have to do it to figure out how to do it. You can't just wing it. You have to learn it as you do it. So, um, and by playing, you get better at it. And that's the toughest part, I think, from, from, what I, from my experience. And that's absolutely, you're absolutely correct, for one. But it's absolutely crazy to think about now that I'm thinking about it, because fab, for many of us that play, not all, obviously, there's some elite fab players out there, Vlad Settler, uh, Scott Jenstead, and many others. And it sounds like yourself if you're doing this well. But um, there's, there's many of us that are still trying to figure out the formula. Like, there's no exact science, but some guys have it pretty, pretty close to good. Um, for a guy like yourself that said you didn't start playing really until 2017, to be able to pick it up that quickly and be that successful because you're 100% correct, you have to be very good at fab or at least get the right moves in at the right dollar amounts and all that stuff to win leagues or contend in leagues. What um, A, that's amazing. And B, like what kind of, I don't know, what tips do you have for fab or what did you, what kind of stood out to you to make you kind of pick it up that quickly type thing? Um, I got pretty good at streaming relatively early. Um, sometimes it's even just, fi- just putting in the work, finding the two-star pitchers, finding out which hitters have four games in Baltimore that you can pick up from Monday to Thursday and then stream and then just drop them the following week. Um, and you can often pick those guys up for it. The two-star pitchers are more expensive, but the hitters sometimes are just a dollar. So it's, I think in the main event, I probably made more pickups than anyone last year. Um, I was going through five, six hitters a week, just finding out hitters with good matchups and and then pairing that with my with my better hitters. Um, the streaming pitcher sort of comes with experience, I think. Um, back in 2017, it was easier. Um, it was, I guess they had the juice ball in the second half, but even 2018, um, teams didn't pull pitchers as soon. Um Last year was just a mess. If you were mm-hmm. trying to use two-start pitchers, um, 
I mean, they were all mediocre. They'd go four innings and get pulled because they gave up three three runs or they'd get pulled after 70, 75 pitches. Um, just because the juice ball more runs, they get pulled earlier and you'll really get the win. Um, so those two-star pitchers, you'd I mean, you'd get seven, eight innings, six, seven Ks, you wouldn't get a win and then it would just jump up your ERA in a whip. So um, that's one thing I learned last year. And I think, the game is trending that way. The two-star pitchers are going to be harder and harder to use. Um, where guys like Vlad Sedler and Scott Jenstad do well, um, if there's a guy that everyone's on, they'll know he'll cost 40, 50, 60, or 100. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have that knowledge yet. It's. I think it just comes with feeling. I don't know how they, they do it, but... Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get sort of attached. You just look at a guy like, okay, this one's my guy. I think last year I was looking at Denilson Lamed. I was reading reports that we started to, starting to pitch in single A. And I'm like, everyone's going to see this. Everyone's going to be on him. I think I bid 50 or 60 in all my leagues and no one else bid on him. So I'm like, <laughs> there goes the waste of $50 in fab. Um, yeah. The more you read on the player, you, you sort of get attached to him and it's hard to sort of take a step back. I think one thing those guys have, they talk, they talk to each other a lot. So if you notice a guy, you can talk to someone else about it. And if he tells you, no, no one's on him, then you say, okay, I'll pull back just five or 10, make sure I get him. And um, I think that's where the the good players really know how to take advantage of fab. Yeah, there's a few things you said there that were right on is, A, they talk to each other a lot. And that definitely yeah. helps be able to have a sounding board to kind of go off of guys. There's definitely that factor where they can flat out tell you, no, don't waste your money on him. You're being silly. Like stuff like that. Like you might yeah. spend 30 bucks on him now, but you're going to drop him next week and he's going to ruin your team. So little things like that, that'll um, help you out in the long run. I think it is very interesting. Like you said, I think that's the hardest part for me is they do find a way and you know, nothing's a perfect science, but they usually have that right idea on how to spend. Cause you mentioned the Lamette thing. I love talking about um, like on our Monday show, once we have a season, we recap fab from TGFBI and NFBC leagues and stuff and kind of get an idea on how much certain players, like the popular players of the week went for and whatnot. And it's crazy how each league varies so much. That's where I think the science of it's so tricky is, yeah. you know, you can play in one 15 team league and a guy goes for 27 bucks and I'll play in one and he goes for $93. And you're like, what in the world am I supposed <laughs> to do with this? Like, and it happens all the time. So yeah. that's, I think that's where it gets pretty stressful, but uh, it's fun. And it's what we love about the game. Um, you have a lot one of things thing I, I want to ask. Uh, one thing I did last year, I started, I looked at all my fab bids and I did a bit of analysis and I noticed that once you know a guy's go, a guy goes for, I think, above 40 bucks, the ones that go for 100 or 200 or 40 basically all perform the same. So interesting. Um, that's one thing I sort of won. Like, the, there was the big uh, Fabapalooza with Austin Riley, yes. Willie Gahoo, and all those guys that everyone just overbid and I think the only one was Oscar Mercado who really paid off mm-hmm. um, and he was the cheapest one. So that's one thing. I, it might've been just last year that was like that, but um, that's sort of what I want. This is going to be different with the short season, but yeah. usually I wanted to, I was thinking if I know a guy's going to go for a lie, I just bid 40, 50. If I get him great, if not, I'll just get the next guy. Um, that is and one more thing. I think that helped me was um, I don't know if you saw Jeff Zimmerman on fan graphs. He sort of built this, formula looking at uh cbs ownership he basically predicts the main event fab prices um hmm. and that's a really helpful totally basically i think on friday or saturday he posts 
maybe the top 20 to 30 guys with estimated bids. So that's one thing I used uh, to sort of get an idea of how much guys are going to go for. And that was really helpful. So that's a good, good call there. I know I've read that a few times. I'm not nearly as diligent as I should be on that one, apparently now hearing about <laughs> that, but um, that, uh, that thing you mentioned about the $40, cause yeah, I brought that up a few times with the Mercado deal is, you know, we talk about Fabapalooza and people forget about him in the mix, but he did perform the best out of the bunch and he was the cheapest. And it's one of those, a lot of people wanted the big names and even really bid on Mercado at times. It, it felt yeah. like, so that's an interesting thing. I, I love to see how that goes forward. I know this year will be a little difficult, obviously, but some other ideas. You're a very statistical guy and a very analytical guy. Uh, we'll talk about some of your other stuff coming up here. But just you talking about the fab, how you, you went back and look at things. Do you have like a statistics background or what, what uh, got you into this kind of um, numbers game? Um, I don't really. I've just always been a numbers guy. Um, mm -hmm. I told you about my fantasy football website earlier. I did it when I was um, 18, 19, and 20, I think. Uh, I call it Ultimate FF Strategy. So it was all about numbers in football, trying to figure out an edge, things like that. Um, obviously, it doesn't work nearly as well in football, but I guess that's sort of where I got started. Um, and then I'm just really good with, with Excel. So um, give me a spreadsheet, give me stats, and I'll figure something out. So <laughs> That's awesome. I'm jealous. I'm super envious. Uh, I know you said you listened to the, the podcast with myself and Dave, and that's one of the things I struggle at the most is like building sheets and analyzing that stuff. I can, I can do a lot of the visual stuff. It's almost like if I could put me with you, we'd be a dangerous force, but um, stuff like that, that, that's a skill in itself. Um, and we're going to talk about a lot of those things here, but let's get into the 60 game season. We have baseball, Phil, and I know we've yeah. kind of been, we've been DMing them back and forth the last few weeks about it. Like, okay, hopefully we have something. Hopefully we have something. Yeah. We got something. <laughs> so it worked out very well. Perfect timing. Um, some of the generic stuff is it's not technically the three division format, but it's going to be the three division format in a roundabout way. It's going to be an unbalanced schedule, but you're going to stay East central West for the most yeah. part. So that'll impact how you draft players at times. Um, there's going to be the universal DH in the national league. That'll be interesting as well with some of the things we're talking about for the in season wise, you probably already started digging in a little bit. There's gonna be a lot more to do, especially as more information comes out uh, this weekend. They're supposed to start saying some guys that might not play and all those kind of factors. How are you um, dissecting the the news so far, like the the scheduling, the DH when it comes to your fantasy analysis when you're uh, looking to you know draft pretty soon? Yeah, for scheduling, I told you I'm a numbers guy, so uh, I ran the numbers last night for the new schedule, at least as what we know from it, and it really wasn't as different as I thought it would be. Um, overall, what I found is that the central teams get basically a 1% advantage and the West teams get a 1% disadvantage. So obviously the better teams in those divisions, um, like the Indians and the Twins, get a bit of an edge because they play the Tigers more often, uh, the Royals. But um, I had to, I, I read the numbers, I think three, four times to make sure I was getting it right. But it, <laughs> It, it didn't, I don't know, it, it, it wasn't nearly as much as I thought it would be. So then I sort of thought about it. I'm like, okay, look at it from the, uh, from the Indians' perspective. Um, they get 20 games in, against the NL Central, and they're pretty much an average division. So you, you can sort of forget those games. And then the other 40 games, the White Sox are an average team. You can say the Twins and Royals sort of cancel each other out. And then that leaves the Tigers. Um in a normal season, they play 19 out of 162 against them, so roughly 7 out of 60 for a short season. 
and then they're sort of playing 10. So the only real difference for the Indians is they get three extra games against the Tigers compared to uh, a normal schedule. So it's an edge, but three games is like 5% of the season. So um, that sort of showed me that my numbers are probably right. And I mean, I'll, I'll still apply it to my formulas, but it, it might move guys three or four spots up or down once you get to the round 10, 15, 20, but it won't be a major difference. Okay, and that, that's a good point. First off, the way you described that made so much more sense to me because if you just throw the numbers out there, uh, uh, Zips on Fangraphs came out with uh, strength of schedules, and it's pretty much what you're saying is it showcases the East and maybe even the West, kind of the bottom feeders have the toughest schedule. The Central's kind of just neutral almost overall. But like the top teams in every division has like the easiest schedule in theory, and it makes yeah. sense the way you're describing it there. Um but it's all pretty tight. It's like between a winning percentage of about like 44% to 52%, which I know sounds like a lot, but when you're talking 30 teams and it's just, it all kind of jumbles together in the end there. Um, so that, that's, that makes so much more sense. Don't you just say, just think three more Tigers games is pretty much the difference. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Um, now, now I talked about it with Toby shoot probably over a month ago when we were just kind of speculating on the divisional setups and, you know, like this division might have better pitching matchups against these teams, more lefties here, so on and so forth. How much of that are you going to look into when you're doing this? Because you kind of just said, you know, first 10 rounds, it's almost business as usual, which I understand. But are you going to maybe say, are you going to use it as a factor if there's the two guys that are pretty close together and you'd go, wait, you know, the Dodgers, they're going to have a pretty nice pitching schedule, stuff like that. Um, Probably not because I think it sort of gets to, um, you're sort of picking at things and you don't know if it's going to be that game that it's going to come out against the righty or lefty. I think my plan was mainly just to get more starters. Um, I'm probably looking to get 11 or 12 starters in my lineup and then basically start six or seven and then five on the bench and then just play matchups every week. Um, I think if you just get the best players, you can figure out the matchups from week to week. Um, I think if if you start drafting players based on matchups, you don't even know if it's going to work out that way. Um, you might pass up on a player you think is better. Um, and in the end, something that might not even have mattered because you don't know how the matchup is going to work out. That makes a lot of sense with the pitching situation there because, A, you know with Fab, you're going to churn and burn anyway. So if a guy doesn't pan out, you can you can flip him around or do things like that. Sometimes it's easier to do with pitching, especially on a short season when you know 10 to 12 starts, you can make some decisions pretty quick in theory. Uh, at the, At the same time, I think it might be easier to draft guys that you have confidence in out the gate than attempting to stream pitching. I think that's going to be extremely difficult because on a small season, those ratios are going to get, if you have a bad start or two, that's going to just blow things up in a big, big way. So you're talking about getting a handful of starters. Like you said, are you looking to maybe get some lockdown aces early? Or do you just try to, you know, best available when they come, they come. Um, I'm always an ace guy. I always get one. Um, Sometimes I'll get two like Toby if it falls that way. Um, but usually in the first two rounds, I like to get an ace and then a hitter who can steal bases. Um, I think those are the two hardest things to get. And then once you get those, um, you can go from there. You can you're, It keeps options open in the third, fourth, fifth round. Um, if you go two starters to, soft, to, to start, then in third round, you're forced to take a hitter. So if it turns out that the, a starter is dropping and then you, you want to take him, then um it limits your options so um i usually like to keep balance as much as possible to keep options open uh but i do like to get an ace early 
That makes a ton of sense. I, I'm with you there. I've been, I used to never be pitching early and each year it gets earlier and earlier. And I think all the drafts I did this year, either the ones that we still have or that got canceled, I had a pitcher, at least one pitcher at the latest by round three, usually by round one or two. I, I was taking someone depending on where I was drafting, what position I was in. And you're right. It gives you that kind of comfort zone that you can go somewhere else as the draft goes on that you might not be able to, if you wait, you might be forced to go somewhere you don't really want to go. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And you, you mentioned guys with steals. Uh, I'm with you getting balanced guys early uh, on a shorter season like this, where obviously, you know, fewer steals, fewer counting stats in general, um, batting average can get really wonky with a smaller number. Are you into, I know in the main event, which you've already signed up for with their new system, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute with NFPC, yeah. but that has an overall price. So you can't really punt anything. Yeah. How are you approaching these stats? Like um, I got an Adalberto Mondesi who might not help you in all categories, but could go skill, skill 25 bases in a short season. Does he kind of get bumped for you? Or are you sticking with uh, the usual? I usually don't like those guys that provide just one thing. Um, I'll talk about my, my system a little bit later. Uh, but one thing I have in my system, I have what I call a balance metric where I push up guys that provide in five categories or at least are balanced. So that might have a 260, 270 average with five or 10 steals, 15, 20 home runs. Um, that provided everywhere. Um, a guy like Mondesi, he's a decent hitter, but if he goes on a cold streak for 10, 15 games, he could start hitting ninth and he'd basically be useless. So um, it's unlikely to happen, but it's one of the possibilities. So um, I try to avoid that with an early round pick. Um, even I'm not a Malik Smith guy. Um, even the power hitters, I found the same thing. So Pete Alonso. I think I have like 60 or 70 in my hitters. He's really low. Um, I usually go for balance guys um, pretty much throughout the draft. And I think they're easier to replace because if you're counting a Monizy for steals, say in a full season, you're hoping for, I don't know, 40, 50. Mm-hmm. So you're balancing that in your roster. If he gets hurt, you're short by 40 steals. Um, if your 15 steals guy gets hurt, it's easy to replace in fab. Um, so same thing with Alonso. If you're counting on him for 40, 50 home runs in a full season, if he gets hurt, you have to find, and you're, you're suddenly really unbalanced. So you have to find a way to get that power. So I find if you have more balanced guys uh, in your whole team, if one gets hurt, it's easy to go to fab, you replace him. Um, you can get pretty much anyone because if you're balanced everywhere, you can get a power guy, you can get a steals guy, whatever is available. Well, all I know is I can't draft in the same league as you because we have the, like basically the same <laughs> all of that. Like everyone, Pete Alonso has been like my most overdrafted guy in almost anything that anybody's asked me to write about. And uh, yeah, I remember you I about it. Yeah, I, we are like on, on the same page. I went back and looked at my TGFPI roster, which is probably one of the first drafts I did. And <laughs> you look at my first 10 picks and almost all of them give you stolen, like they're balanced. It's just yeah. the way I draft. I'm 100% with you because it's easy to replace or easier to replace. So you, you can't, you, you know, the year like Mondesi came on uh, off the waiver wire, you don't get a lot of those kind of guys. It just doesn't happen. It's, it's yeah. once in a blue moon and a, on a 60 game season. Good luck. So um, that's really going to change it up with the small ramp up, you know, July 1st, they're going to report to their spring training 2.0 or summer training or whatever the name is going to be for the t-shirts they're going to sell out <laughs> there. Um, they're going to get three weeks. And obviously, we've seen videos. We know these guys have been training. Game shape and training shape are two different things. 
How are you approaching that? I know some pitchers are talking about not being stretched out ready, so they might be two or three starts before they're, they're, they're ready to go, which already cuts into things. Are you approaching anything different there, or are you just kind of waiting and seeing right now? It's really hard. I'm sort of waiting and seeing. Um, you probably saw the Alex Anthopoulos comment who said his starters are going to go through three, maybe four innings to start off for the first two starts or so. Um, he wants to, because a 30-man roster for the first, I think it's two weeks, um, he wants to use all his bullpen guys, uh, limit injuries. Um, but then I also, read, I forgot who said it, but I think someone said that his starters are basically ready to go four, five, six innings already. Um, yeah. and then I saw, I think it's, uh, Kikuchi with the Mariners who, who's already throwing 50, 60 pitches in bullpen. So, I mean, in three weeks, I have to assume he's going to be ready to throw 80, 90 pitches. And I think a lot of guys are that way. So, um, we'll probably get more information in two weeks, but for now, um, I mean, I'm not drafting right now, so I'm sort of just waiting and seeing, keeping my rankings as is. And if I have to adjust and I will, um, the one thing I might be careful with younger pitchers, um, like I can understand uh, Mike Soroka just going through or four innings, but I really doubt that the Yankees is going to pull Cole after 60 pitches on opening day. It yeah. it just wouldn't make sense. Um, if he's ready to go, they're going to let him go 70, 80, 90 pitches. He's, he's going to get those five innings. So, um, I mean, obviously they're two different caliber of pitchers, but um even a veteran like, uh, I don't know, Lance Land, Mike Miner, if, if they can go longer, they're going to go longer. I'm 100% with you. That's kind of my thing. I think every team has at least two or three pitchers that they're comfortable stretching out out the gate. They're veteran guys. Like even a guy like Clayton Kershaw, I hate guys with back injuries, but I'm pretty confident by opening day he's going five or six. Like he's just going yeah. to. I, I have those kind of like, but I'm with you. Like on the same team, Julio Urias might only go three innings. Yeah, exactly. I can see that as well. And so I think each team is going to have a little bit of both is the way I look at it. And and then, like you said, with Kikuchi's news, I think there'll be a lot of that. Because, you know, if you're on Twitter enough, Twitter is such a great – it's a cesspool for a lot of things. Yeah. But it's a it's a great resource for what we do. And in, in, in this time when they were negotiating and you couldn't really get videos on anything, players were videoing each other. And you could see they're throwing 95 already. They're throwing bullpens to stay stretched out. They know They knew the drill. They knew they were going to get ramped up quickly. Um, you know, my, it'll be different seeing live hitters, of course, obviously, but to say they weren't prepping, I think it's a little crazy. Uh, there, there's a reason there's all these COVID cases already because they've been practicing together. <laughs> they're, 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 getting, they're getting ready. It's very simple. But um, so I, I think that's a, a very good point you make there. I, there's part of me that's, you know, thinking there's going to be a lot of it. But then the more I talk to you and other guys of late, I have a hunch it's not as many as we think. So That'll be really interesting. Uh, what other kind of things are you waiting to see or are you, you changing? on? A, it seems like you're not changing a ton of your strategy on a shortened season, but what kind of things is this short season kind of waiting on news? What are you, what are you doing as you get ready to draft? For me, the biggest thing with the – well, it's not really a short season. It's universal DH. Um, for me, that changes everything. Um, I did the math, I think, three different ways. I think uh, Steamer came out with the updated protections last night. Um and it has a huge impact. Um, in terms of ERA, I think it might be 0.2 or 0.3. It's not huge. But if you do that for ERA, for whip, strikeouts go down by, I don't know, maybe 5%. Um, wins in the innings pitch probably stay the same. But once you add all that up in terms of value, um, in the early rounds, obviously, it doesn't affect because guys are spread out. But once again, the middle rounds, 
NL pitchers are going down five spots and AL pitchers are going up about five, five spots to, I guess, balance that out. Um, it changes all my rankings. It's yeah. not a lot of people. Like everyone's talking about um, like the 50 new hitters that are going to be the DH, get the playing time. But um, for the pitchers, it changes everything. No, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, steamer and depth charts have been updated. Glad you mentioned that because I didn't even know it. I just went and pulled up fan graphs. It's like looking at Walker Buehler, obviously he's on the top end side of things, but 12 starts, five and three, 72 innings. That's about right, probably, because that's a little over five, about five, about six, that's six innings per start. Uh, 10K per nine, 354 ERA. 3.54 ERA is actually not bad. Some people might have suspected uh, shorter, but let's look at everybody's favorite just because his name's right here, Trevor Bauer, because you mentioned the guys up top, obviously makes sense, but when you drop down below, things change a bit. So Bauer... 74 innings. We've known he's been an innings eater. 10.18K per nine, but a 416 ERA. So he gets a little bit of a, a bump where uh, depth chart still has him at 395. Uh, full season, the bat had him at 410 and ATC had him at 390. So it does pop up from the usual because uh, ATC is supposed to update this weekend, but he uses steamer and bat and some other things. So his his 390 was a cumulative, obviously, yeah. 416 for steamer. So you're right. The, the bumping up factor farther down the list can be interesting. And even last year, um, Hinjin Ryu with the Dodgers, he moved to the Jays. And then mm-hmm. last year was one of the best pitchers. I know he's not as, as durable, does go to, as deep into games, but this year no one talked about him because he was back in the AL. So adding the NLDH is basically the same thing as we're doing with him. Um, we sorted the automatically because his projections came out early. We say, okay, he's lower, higher ERA because moving to the AL, but now you're doing that for all pitchers. Um, Another great... Great way to explain it right there. Just like you did with other things. It's like it's such an easy way to explain it. <laughs> because well, because like and you look you pull up his you know, last year two three two, sure, that was a little ambitious. Like you repeating that was gonna be difficult even if he stayed on the Dodgers. But um for a full season, ATC had him at three seven eight. The yeah. steamer shortened season, four two seven. So yeah. <laughs> quite the bump. Um are you a are you a Jays fan by chance? Um I I started following them when they went in playoffs. I think it was three, four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. The Jose Bautista bat flip. So, um, oh, yeah, that good. sort of got me to like the Jays. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was a really well, cool story. I was actually in Vegas for that. Um, I think I bet $1,000 on the Jays to win by run line. So, to win by two. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were down by one. And he hit that three-run home run. And oh, man. I was at the Hollywood Sportsbook, and it was filled with Canadians, and the whole casino just went nuts. I think it's one of my one of my favorite sports experiences, being that there at that time. Um, and obviously, with the money involved, it was it was even better. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. There's there's something to be said about a sportsbook when kind of everyone's on the same page and chaos yeah. like that takes place. It's it's an experience unlike any other. <laughs> it's it's yeah. pretty awesome. So I'm with you there. That's pretty cool. And you got the. I keep calling them the baby Blue Jays. You guys got some young players and be a lot of fun to check out. So yeah, it's hard cool. to attach to your team though. When I mean I'm drafting four or five leagues, so I usually I just follow my guys. Then if I happen to draft Jays that year, I'll watch them more. Mm-hmm. Usually I watch mainly my pitchers. So um, last year I watched a lot of Jacob Degrom. I I watched some Blake Snell, which was really disappointing. Um, yeah, I sort of follow my pitchers. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, I know we're going to talk about your pitching strategy later. Are you on Blake Snell this year? No. Yeah. I am way low. Even before the injury, I had him really low, probably lower than anyone, probably around my 15th or 20th pitcher. 
uh, just because I don't like pitchers that didn't finish the year the year before. You don't know how healthy they are. He came back, but you don't know. Like, he wasn't going six, seven innings. So there's always a risk of that injury coming back. And then with his struggles in, in spring training, and then he's, he's, he's getting ready now. But um, I just don't trust him. All right. So I mentioned that you signed up for the new NFBC main event. It's a $1,200 buy-in. Hundred thousand guaranteed up top, so a little different than before, but still pretty awesome that they put this together. Yeah. I think they're going to put together a few other contests here, kind of shorter season deals. Um, pretty much anything with Fab got returned to everybody. You can go to the NFBC Twitter account or their website to get the whole read. But uh, they, they they did the main event. I know they got some other things coming out this week. You already signed up for at least one spot in the main event. Um, how how many are you going to? Or how uh, aggressive are you going to be drafting this year on the shorter season than you were? on a normal season? Um, I got what they call a grand slam package. I got four entries right away. Um, nice. I had three you before. You were not messing around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess with the low, I had three mains before I had an auction, which isn't going to happen. Um, so I sort of just put that with the lower price, but I guess four mains, it's the same amount of money as three. Um, mm-hmm. And then one of those I actually won last year. Um, one of those daily contests they had, uh, DFS things I finished first and then got a free main for this year. So, um i'm sort of and i guess doing four i'm spreading the risk i guess with the short season you never know but um with four leagues i always try in the first two rounds i'll target eight guys take my kds to make sure i get them as much as possible and i don't want to get the same guy in two leagues um if if your first round pick gets hurt it really hurts so um especially with the COVID thing you don't know if you don't know what's going to happen so um I guess more leagues spreading the risk. Um, it, it feels safer. It's a lot of money in four mains, obviously, but uh, not for everyone. But um, mm-hmm. we'll give it a shot and see what happens. You kind of mentioned they're spreading the risk. As we know, the COVID thing, people are going to get it throughout the season. It's just going to be how it goes. There's the Mike Trout story. We're trying to find out if he has to quarantine when he leaves. I think he won't have to just pass a couple of tests and then it'll be one of those type of things. I think baseball wants the face of baseball on the field, so they'll make some uh, expe- exceptions to that situation, I think. But how are you approaching that? Like, we know some guys have already had it, and people think you can't get it again. That's not always 100% true. Um, obviously, there's the threat of, you know, a, a whole clubhouse getting it. I don't think that's as, as serious. I, it could, but you never know. How much of that are you taking into account? Are you just going to roll with what you got, and whatever happens, happens? Um, it's really hard. because we, We'll probably find out more next week when, once players start showing up at camp. We know some are testing positive. Mm-hmm. Just because either they've been training together or just living their lives and they picked it up somewhere. Um, I don't know. It's hard to guess. I mean, one of the things, are we, like, guys on the Astros, Rangers, Rays, Marlins, Diamondbacks, where, this, where there, there's more cases, is it riskier to get those guys? Um, mm-hmm. The AL and NL Central feel safer because those, those states are doing better. Um, the Yankees and Mets feel safe, but they have to go to Florida for a road trip. So is that a risk? Um, it's sort of all questions I'm asking myself. I haven't changed my rankings because of that yet. Um, I'm thinking I might in a couple of weeks, depending on how things go, but you have to think guys in Florida and Texas are riskier. Um, just cause they live there, they're playing their home games there. Um, even just going home, their wife going to the grocery store, anything, um, they can pick it up somewhere. So, um, I might make a change in a couple of weeks, once we know a little more what's going on in camp, how the protocols are working, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm, with, I'm, I'm keeping an open mind too. Yeah, I'm with you there. Cause even if you, 
you know, you mentioned there's Texas, Arizona, Florida. Well, now we think, okay, the Western divisions go to Arizona and Texas, three different places. So that yeah. makes things more interesting. Like it sounds silly, but at the same time, it could be legit. These are the, the hot spots. So let's see how this plays out. Um, something to think about, obviously. And I'm with you. We, we got to find out more information. There's going to be guys that aren't going to play. They, they're going to start being able to report that here over the weekend. And uh, we'll find out some more stuff there, but Let's talk. Let's switch it to a positive note. One of the things, many things, you, you obviously um, have a bunch of different systems in play, uh, stats that you like to use in different like you know, formulas going on. But a Twitter thread that you had just took uh, took fantasy baseball Twitter by storm. And it was <laughs> awesome. It was absolutely awesome. And it's been mentioned on other shows. And pretty much right after that came out, it's when I hit you up and said, "When can you come on the show?" We need to talk. <laughs> so um, this is really good stuff here, and it, it was fun because. It was a big discussion point. It started with like Rob Silver and some others saying, hey, on a shortened season, universal DHs, starters aren't going to be as valuable. You want hitters, all these things. You kind of prove that's not correct. So can you explain your whole thread and we'll kind of break it down a little bit of how starters value and, and, and hitters values on a short season kind of differ? Yeah, for sure. Um, basically, I'll start with sort of do it. In my spreadsheet, I have data since 2016. Uh, where I can compare ADP directly with end-of-season stats. Uh, so I started with that, and then I got stats from the first 80 games, which at that time we were hoping for 80 games, um, just to compare the two. Um, this is more statistics, but in terms of R-squared, um, obviously when we're, if I take the ADP compared with end-of-season and half-season stats, we're obviously better at projecting full-season stats because it's a bigger sample. Um, but... On for the half season, we lost twice as much accuracy for hitters than we did for for starters. So um, that was sort of one thing. Then when I find something like that, I always try to figure out why um, to make sure my numbers are right. Um, and the one explanation I, I could find is that if you look at I don't know Jose Ramirez last year, he was horrible in the first half. It can happen to other hitters. Um, and then Josh Bell later was great. So. Uh, but then someone like the Grom or Cole, you know, you know they're going to get their strikeouts. So even if they have a really bad half season, I think Cole even had like a four ERA for, I don't know if it was first half, but at least through maybe five, ten starts, um, they're going to get their case. So that'll give you a floor in value. Um, and I think that's the bigger thing with hitters. If they go on a cold streak, they're not getting average home run runs or RBS. They're getting nothing. So. Um, and then the other thing I looked at, um, I wanted to see where the top players came from. So I took, um, from since 2016, uh, basically the top 11 hitters and five pitchers per round, uh, per year. Um, and then 30 of the top 44 hitters at the halfway mark were drafted in the first five rounds. So that's about two thirds. And then 19 of the top 20 pitchers, um, 19 of the top 20 starters, um, we're drafting the first five rounds. So um, you can probably look at main event results last year, but I bet that a lot of teams that did well either had Cole, Verlander, I think Strasburg, one of the top pitchers, had one of those guys. Um, if you want to compete, you probably need a top five pitcher. And to get that, you have to draft one of the first five rounds, even for just half, half season stats. So um, I know some people were talking about going six, seven, eight straight hitters and then going with, with starters just because they feel they're more volatile. But um, sure, the Grom can have four or five ERA, but 
Joe Musgrove can have a seven ERA. Um, they can be good, but they can be even worse. So um, do you want to take that risk or do you want to get go with someone safer who's going to get UKs? Might have a worse ERA, but he could also have a 1.5 or 2 ERA. So um, it doesn't change my strategy that much. I told you I always, I always want to get an ace. Um, one thing I might do is get a second pitcher earlier. Sometimes I wait, uh, but this year I might try to get another one, at least in third or fourth round, just to make sure I have a, a better base uh, for my starters uh, based on the analysis I did. I, I think I want two starters in the first five rounds. Yeah, that, that's amazing stuff there because, as, as you know, and people that listen to my show enough, I do the bat flip show with, with Toby, Mr. Pocket Aces himself, and it's been a discussion <laughs> many, many yeah. times we've had we've had on the show. and. He slowly grows on me. Like I started doing mock drafts <laughs> with two aces and like I see the appeal and I feel like my my way to evaluate hitters, I can take hitters late much more efficiently than I can pitchers. And I think that kind of also correlates to what you just said there is, you know, sure, you can go after Joe Musgrove. He might have a big season. That's great and all. But for every like Lance Lynn who had a big year last year, there's 20 guys that just completely bomb. Yeah. Or more. Like whereas in the first couple of rounds, these aces, the DeGroms, Verlanders, Scherzers, Coles, even Bueller, those type of guys, maybe one out of five goes bad. Stuff like yeah. that. Like and that's if, if, not they if they stay healthy, they're pretty much surely gonna be good. Especially the top five. Like last year, I think Aaron Nola uh struggled a little bit, but even then he wasn't that bad. He's still going in third or fourth round this year. So um mm-hmm. Snell got hurt, but other than that, um they usually perform if they stay healthy. Yeah, and health we can't predict health. You you, yeah. you draft on you draft on talent and whatever the projections say, whatever your model is, whatever you use, you draft for that. Health you can't factor. If you're making something that factors in health and that's accurate, my goodness, you go buy lotto tickets because you're you're crazy good. But um, I'm starting to like buy into it slowly more and more. I told him the other day he still hasn't sold me on the real mutual. <laughs> still not 100 percent there. I start to on a shorter season that can be a discussion we can have in a bit. I start to see the validity a little more. But when it comes to the pitchers, especially on the shortened season, I even I literally just was on a different show earlier today, and I'm thinking, okay, say you take a Cole DeGrom Verlander early, even if they struggle ratio-wise, they're probably going to get you wins because of the teams they're on, which are going to be super important this season because they're going to be harder to get for starters, especially if they're not going deep into games. And secondly, even if they struggle, they're probably going to get you – if they're on, they're going to get you close to 100 strikeouts, yeah. which is ridiculous on a shortened season compared to, say, a Joe Musgrove later in the room. <laughs> like that, yeah. that gap in that counting stat alone is going to be tremendous. And I think if that's where you can adjust in season. If you have a Cole and he has a bad ERA, um, if everyone has a bad ERA, you can always punt ERA and whip in season, just go for K's wins, and then go for third place. It thinks, I actually did that in, in an auction last year. Um, I think I had one good starter um, who started struggling. I think it was Scherzer. He got hurt a little bit, and he wasn't as good as I'd hoped. Uh, and then everyone I drafted later was just awful. So I'm like, I'll just get two star pitchers. I'll 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 punt ERA and WHIP. Uh, get K's wins as much as I can. And I was I was last after two months, and then I made it up. The, I finished fourth. I was second or third at some point. Um, and I tried cashing. So that's, that's, I mean, it's not winning, but you can always try. You can adjust in season. Um, or if you get the Ks, 
you can always get a third closer or middle reliever who's going to help with those mm-hmm. ratios a little bit to balance that out. Um, once you do well in one category, you can adjust in season. Um, you, you mentioned something there, and we'll throw one of Dave McDonald's questions out here because I was going to ask it to you anyways, and it fits in here. He, he was asking, what are you doing with closers this year? You just mentioned a middle reliever. And something I've been thinking about is due to ratios. You get a couple big guys early, and then you got like the Pomeranz, the Lugos, those type of guys are going to go. They're setup men, but they might run like Canables that might run into some saves, but they're good ratio guys or strikeouts. Do you foresee yourself going that route, loading up on closers? How do you handle the bullpen uh, situation on the shortened season? In the draft, I'm staying away from all the all the guys that don't have a job. Um, just because it feels like those guys change every year. Palmins was great last year, but that, well, he converted to reliever last year. We don't know how he's going to do this year. Uh, Mir Giret sort of came out of nowhere last year. He did well for the first half. Um, there's always guys that show up. In the past, I think Ryan Presley was doing great also last year. Um, there's guys everywhere in FAB that show up. So if I want ratios, I know I can find a middle reliever who's doing well. And relievers, it feels like there's more of hot streak kind of thing if they have it or they don't. Um, in a draft, you never know if you spend a, I don't know, 20th round pick on a guy who's you're hoping a middle reliever who won't get you saved. You're hoping for ratios. He can have a bad, bad outing at, at first. And you just don't know, especially with, I mean, would you feel comfortable starting Pomeranz the first week and hoping for two, three innings? You don't know how it's going to do. Um, you don't know what starters either, but at least starters, you're, you're getting K's, you're getting possibly wins. With relievers, you need uh, you need ratios. If you don't get those, you're getting nothing. Um, yeah, very good point. I am bumping up closers, though. For me, closers, anyone with a job, um, usually normal season, you have six months to find. You have the trade deadline four months in. You can trade deadline for five weeks this year, but I don't think there's going to be as many trades. Uh, more teams are going to be in it. Um, closers get hurt. Closers lose their jobs. You can try to find closers on fab. But this year, um, I'm getting at least two, maybe three closers with the job. Um, it feels like, because they, they just went up. I mean, their their value, if you look at it um, from a stats perspective, you say every week, every time they go out, they have, I don't know, 5% chance of losing a job. So the shorter the season, the smaller the chance of losing a job. And then if they rack up, I don't know, five, six, seven saves in the first month, and then they have two blown saves, you just drop them, they lose the job. You got half season worth of saves, um, which in full season is three months, and you'd be happy with that. So, um, and it'll be, if if a closer um, comes up in fab, people are going to spend six, seven, eight hundred dollars on it, and then you're limiting all your other options. So, um, I'd rather get my saves in the draft, and then even if I have to, um, even if it hurts my hitting, my start loses a little bit, um, it's just one guy you're going to find, I mean, what are the odds of a hitter that you pick in round 20 to outperform a hitter in round eight in a short season, maybe 40%. Mm-hmm. And then what are the odds of a closer or I guess a middle reliever in round 20 outperforming a closer who has the job um, in round eight? It It's a lot less really? than 40%. So that's sort of how I look at it. Um, I want to get those saves, even if I pass on hitters I like, uh, I want to get those saves locked in. That's a very good way to look at it. Um, I, I, I did a lot of research before, I guess, before we knew everything was going to be shut down. I did drafts before the uh, spring training finished, and I still did drafts till like 
sometime in April. So we had about 60, 50 to 60 drafts, uh, online drafts in both segments I was looking at. And after things got shut down, when there was, you know, the Arizona plans and all those other plans showed up there, closers were moving up the ADP already then. Yeah. Uh, so th- that was already a thing happening. So this makes, it makes sense. It's one of those things I've told people with the closers, I, I'd go and either you get really, really aggressive and get some studs or it's like quality or quantity is the way I look at it. Either that, or you go get like three or four middle, like tier three or four guys, which I know are riskier because they might lose their job, but on a smaller season, like you said, it might be tougher to lose your job type situation. All depends. But I guess in the end, you're, you're, you're looking more eight round eight. So you're talking like the Kenley Jansons, the Chapmans of the world, stuff like that. So you want the, the big guys that are on good teams that got pretty locked in jobs. Which, Even which in, makes a lot of the main, I mean, it's nothing new. Everyone knows what I'm saying. So yeah. um, the top closers, uh, I don't know, Hader, Ozuna, they might move up half a round. Mm-hmm. But once you get to the Joey Menez, Keone Kella, people are going to start panning. They say, I, I got to get my saves. I think those guys could easily move up two, three, four yeah. rounds. So where would you yeah, rather those... spend half a round on the top guys or three, four, five rounds on the bottom guys? So. Um, yeah, good point. Rel- that's like relative value of where they should be going and where they are going are two completely different things. So that that makes a lot of sense there because those guys that you mentioned, the Jimenez, the Kalas, those are the big jumpers. The, the, the guys that were back there were moving up quite a bit. So that says a lot to what you you were saying right there. So get your starters, get your closers, get your bats later. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> that's <kind of laughs> what it's one thing like. I really paid off for me last year with closers um, in in one league, I actually two leagues, uh, 30th round. I'm like, um, let's try uh, Greg Holland. Um, I'm like, everyone assumes Archie Bradley's going to have the job, but we don't know. I'll pick him up. Um, and then he had the job for half the year. And that mm-hmm. really paid off. And he got 15 saves and he got terrible, as we all expected. And then I just dropped him. Uh, mm-hmm. But he really paid off. So that's one thing I might also try in the last few picks. Uh, I know there's people talking about Trevor Rosenthal maybe getting the job with the Royals. Um, I mean, they're probably not going to announce a closer, and then you just find out on opening day. So give it a try in round 29-30. If it works out, great. If not, you just drop him. Like, you'd probably drop any starter or hitter that you pick up in that round. No, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, You mentioned about your pitcher rankings. You did a big thread on that as well, and that was a very interesting one, how you use, like, velocity and, and all kinds of other factors when, when uh, you're making your projections and ADPs and all that stuff to um, to analyze your pitchers going for the next year, how'd you kind of uh, your stand your standings gain points? I feel like an idiot when I kept using these. <laughs> and then I and then I went and looked at your thread. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you're talking about. Gotcha. There's um, a trending word on Twitter today. <laughs> yeah, I, I kept telling him, and he wouldn't answer me. And then you finally did. Thank goodness, because I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. But um, <laughs> then 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 you spelled it out and it made so much sense. Um, so standings gain points is something you use just to kind of explain how you go about evaluating your pitchers to make your rankings that are essentially, that's why they're yours. Yeah. Uh, basically I'll start with the standing gains point method. Everyone, everyone who, who wants to check it out, um, Tanner Bell on smartfantasybaseball.com. He has some tools. He really explains how it works. Um, basically the way you look at it is, um, I sort of did it a bit differently than him, but you can take your league standings. I looked at the main event overall standings. Um, usually I'll remove the edges, only the top 50 teams, the bottom 50 teams. And then you look at runs, you'll say team 51 had, I don't know, a thousand runs. And then 
I guess if you do it in 15 team league, it's easier. Um, team three maybe had 1,000 runs. Team 13 had 800 runs. Um, so that's the difference of 200. Um, from three to 13, that's 10 points in a standing. So to move up one, one spot in runs, you usually need about 20 runs. Um, so that's how you give value to runs. You do the same thing for every category. So you might say um, you need 20 runs to gain one point in standings. Uh, you need five stolen bases. Um, and then you just do it for RBI. Av- Rachel, average, a little bit more complicated. But like I said, the formula is on, on Tanner Bell's website. Um, but that's the basic of it. It's basically a way of turning um, Roto stats into fantasy points, I guess you can say. Um, in football, it's easy. It's just points. It's a way of converting that. So we just have one number to look at. Um, that's the main, I know. Um, and then I'll try to explain my spreadsheet a little bit. It's really complex. So I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, but basically the way I start is I have two sets of projections. I have steamer and I have, uh, pod projections. Um, and then I also have main event ADP and I have end of season stats, all of that since 2016. Um, so I have four years, four years of data. Um, and then I turn all of those into, uh, SGP standing gain points. Um, so I have uh, one number for predictions, uh, one number for end of season stats, and then the main event ADP. I sort of did a bit, a bit of a regression um, where I'll know someone say a hitter with ADP of 100 should end up with 13 SGP on average. Um, so that's basically how you do my spreadsheet. And then uh, the way I work from there. Um, let's say we take Ronald Acuna last year, uh, brought up in front of me, uh, projections gave, gave him 19.8 based on his ADP. He should have been about 18.7. So average those out to get about 19.3, but then he earned 25.5 at the end of the year. Um, so the way my system works is I have those two values, 19.3, 25.5. I have that for all the hitters, uh, and pitchers for the past four years. Um, and my goal is to get that 19.3 as close as possible, that 25.5, using stats that I had before the 2019 season. It obviously doesn't make sense to use last year's stats to get. Um, it's a way to backtest my system and find formulas that can improve. Because um, if I can get that 19.3, which is, I guess, where people would usually draft him up to 21 based on my system, then I might have had him my third best hitter last year, and I'd end up with him. So um it's a way to improve my rankings improve my values nice that's uh it's in depth but it makes a ton of sense to just have like a value for them instead of looking at all the stats and trying to project out how that ranks with everybody i think that's a a very interesting way to do it i need to i need to look into more of tanner's stuff i know toby uses his model for his projection systems Uh, you're using that model for your your points based deal that's uh i need to go check that out in a big big way uh, have you found doing this little system, not little system, doing this system, have you, have, have you found uh, any kind of standouts that all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is way different than what like other like quote unquote regular, you know, projections or rankings have for certain players that have helped you like in recent years? Yeah, I have some, some crazy rankings. Um, they look nothing like ADP, nothing like other rankings. For example, one thing, um, basically what, I'll, what I said to get that 19.3 closer to that 25.5 is to find factors. I think for pitchers, I found about 17. For hitters, I found about 10. It's just stats I add 
to either increase or decrease all of those players' numbers. And I use the same formula for all players, so you're not nitpicking a specific player. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but like one example, um, for hitters that are projected to hit 7th or 8th in the order, um, I found they were undervalued. Um, basically, I just take my spreadsheet, filter by batting order, I'll average out um, the average of production, say they're average nine, uh, sorry, 11, and then at the end of the year, they gave a value of 12. So I know they're undervalued by one. Um, so then I just dig deeper, try to come up with a formula where I bump them up a little bit, see if it's um, the higher hitters that have to bump up the lower hitters. Um, and then once I find something like that, I always want to find an explanation because um, the seventh, the eighth hitter, it might just be 100 hitters. So um, you always want to have an explanation. Otherwise, you're sort of just guessing and hoping it, it keeps going on. But if you want your system uh, to project forward, um, it has to make sense. So my, my reasoning for that was hitters that are projected hit seventh or eighth in the batting order, it's the easiest thing to move up. I mean, improving skills happens, but uh, Dansby Swanson is a great example. Last year, he was projected to hit eighth. Um, he had a hot start. I think in CRT got hurt or started struggling. Swanson moved up to second pretty quickly within a couple of weeks. And then he worked out from there. So his value just shot up. Basically, his played appearance was go up by, I guess, about 15%. You just increase value by 15%, even if he has the same skills. He just went way up. So um, that's one thing I noticed in my system. Um, another example, uh, left-handed hitters, I find them to be overvalued. Um, and then switch hitters are undervalued. It, when you think about it, um, especially in the middle rounds, like a guy around 10, you hope a left-handed hitter um, is going to get full playing time. But if he hits 150 after two weeks, he's going to start platooning. He's, got, he's not going to hit lefties. Um, and then his, so his play appearance could go down by 30%. The switch hitter, even if, even if he goes on a cold streak for a month, um, he might get a day off or two, but he's going to stay in there. Um, so that's the kind of thing, like, I don't want to say it's better than steamer because obviously I couldn't do what I'm doing if I didn't have their base. I can't project average individually. I just try to apply their stuff to what I'm doing, which is the NFBC. Um, yeah. so I look for edges like that. Um, and then what I said with the seventh or eighth place hitter, if they struggle, if they stay eighth or if they struggle, I just drop them and I replace them in fab. So, um, they just have more upside than someone who's projected to hit second or he really has to do well. Um, otherwise he'll go down. So it's just little things like that that I look for. Um, it's honestly hours and hours of testing data. Um, last year I had it pretty well for hitters. It worked out really well, and it's usually it's pretty much why I did well in my um, in, in the NFBC. I had Josh Bell really high, Kettle Marte really high, a lot higher than most. So I had those guys in two, three leagues, um, and that really paid off. My pitchers weren't great. Um, I think probably since January, I spent, I don't know, 50 hours on pitchers trying to find factors, and I came up with, I think last year I had two or three, now I've got 17, so... Um, it's <laughs> and it, it sounds complicated but it's everything that other people talk about um like people talk about pitch mix for hitters uh like the experienced players know they look at pitch, pitch mix individually i just get all the data from fan graphs and i try to come up with for with the formula to quantify it um 
it's just my way of doing things. I'm really good with Excel. Um, and like that thing I mentioned, that other Twitter thread was uh, fastball velocity in the second half. Um, a, pitch, a starting pitcher who improved his velocity from the first to the second half, um, I think what I found out was 5.8 miles per hour. Um, someone with an ADP of 15th round will usually return ninth round value. So you're basically, basically getting six rounds for free um, just from the 15 or 20 guys that, I guess, 15 or 20 over the past four years. It might be four or five this year. Um, those guys should be going five, six rounds earlier. So um, it's just the kind of things I look at um, that other people look at. But the way I can quantify it, it, it can tell me, like someone might like a pitcher going the 15th round and say, okay, I like him. I'll take him in 12 or 13. Um, by quantifying it, I, I know he's worth sixth or seventh round value. So I have no problem pulling the trigger in the 10th round, the 11th round, if I have to, to make sure I get my guys. Um, and like I said, it's all of the stuff I came up with was just listening to podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. I know Scott Jenstad once he talked about whip, um, on the rotor wire podcast. He look, he says, I look at whip proposals. It feels like guys who can avoid putting guys on base. They do better. Great. I'll test it. Pull out my spreadsheet. Look at either projected whip, projected whip, whip from the previous year, put all together. And then I found that he was right. Closers with a better whip are usually undervalued by ADP and protection system. Usually they probably hang on to the job longer. So I just add it to my system. So it's one more factor I can look at. Um, everyone looks at the same stuff. All, all the good NFBC players, I just have a way to quantify it because um, that's the way I'm used to doing things. <laughs> I'm absolutely fascinated with this. I'm literally just sitting here listening going, my goodness, like the, <laughs> I, I love it because you're right. We we all look at these numbers like it, it, in different ways. Someone or some group are looking at one or all of these numbers in, in a roundabout way, trying to justify and look at who's better this way, why we're drafting this guy, so on and so forth. But the way you test it and quantify it and gives you, it gives you that upper hand because as you know, especially in, in big main events, NFPC leagues, if you can find that guy that's five rounds undervalued and, and so maybe you take him a round or two earlier so you make sure you get him, that is tremendous. Like that is game-changing type stuff. If you know when and where to take a guy maybe a little early, because we always talk about, you know, you go get your guys, especially in those big events. And so that always kind of throws ADP out a little bit. But if you know, hey, this player A is six rounds undervalued, well, I'll jump maybe two or three rounds and I'm going to go get him. So – that's a, that's a big difference. You mentioned Josh Bell, Cattell Marte. They obviously had tremendous years last year. So that's that's awesome stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out for you this year because I know you're going to keep tweaking it with the, the 60 games and all that and seeing where all that factors out. But uh, let's get into some listener questions. We have quite a few, and it's going to cover a litany of what we've been talking about here. And the first one I sent you in the DM, it came from a couple days ago. It's just an interesting one, and you don't have to name a bunch of guys if you don't want to because we're kind of still figuring everything out. But Swanzilla at Swing, if you Swan 2 asks, who climbs up the ranks in fantasy baseball this year with short season based on schedule and universal DH in a points league? So I know you, you – I guess your only points league maybe is the DC, maybe not at all. But um, what are you looking at with uh, the like the guys that kind of get a boost from the short season? Um. It's not a whole lot from the shortened season. I don't see a whole lot of difference. It's mainly universal DH. Um, obviously, the guys that are going to go up the most are Ryan Braun, who's going to regular playing time now for sure at DH. Uh, he's probably going to stay healthier as well. You've got Jesse Winker, 
Um, Saspedas with the Mets, apparently, is going to be DH. Um, and then someone like Real Muto, I think he's going to get, he's going to play pretty much every day. He's going to catch maybe 50 games and be DH for five or 10. So um, guys like that, that I like, um, they're the guys going to move up the most guys that get a new job. So, um, and one more thing with the universal DH that we, people don't really talk about. Um, it's 15 new jobs. So it's 15 new hitters in fab um, with regular playing time. Um, every week in fab, I find there's always maybe five, 10, 15 hitters that maybe the righties playing three lefties that are going to play three games. Now it's been extra 15 guys. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind when you're drafting that hitter is going to be easier to find in fab that they, than they've ever been. Um, at least that's the way I look at it. That's a good point. Another reason to go get those pitchers. And fill the hitting in later. Uh, I like that. It's a very good. I haven't heard that point yet, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Mike Carter at MDRC0508. He has, what is the biggest impact of the short season on your strategy, Phil? Um, probably, um, like I said, with Universal DH, I'll lean pitching a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, it's probably the, the, the extra pitcher that I'll get early that we talked about. Um, and what I said about the DH, the extra jobs, um, I'm probably going to get a base of nine or 10 hitters and then just wait, make sure I get my starters. Um, I think in a short, it's, it's partly short season, uh, partly just the way baseball is trending, um, with the Rays leave doing two, three innings, uh, doing the opener, follower, all that stuff. Uh, the Braves that might have their starters go two, three, four innings. Um, I just want to have access to more starters on my roster and the better they are, the better chance there is that they're going to go five innings from the get go. Um, and I think later in training camp, we're going to get an an idea of which guys are ready to go four or five innings. Um, and those wins that you can get in the first week or two are going to be really valuable. If you can pick up four or five wins and someone who has younger pitchers that just go four innings that don't get anything. Um, I think that's going to be huge. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think I think that's very big. I think more for me, it's like the more emphasis on the starting pitcher, like you keep saying, and then just get those balanced guys, like really get those balanced guys because every little like three, four, five steals from each guy you have is going to be tremendous this year. So yeah. stuff stuff along those lines. Uh, Mike Carter has another question for us. Um, who is one guy you moved way up your draft board and who is one guy you've moved down? I'm still working on my updated rankings. I'm going to have them out July 1st is my goal. I know you said you're still waiting on some news on stuff too, but I guess for me, I'll say Real Muto's moved up my board. I I talked about it last week. You just mentioned him. He's a guy, it makes so much more sense to me now on the shortened season playing time with the DH. He's a guy that moved up my board for sure. What are some guys for you? Um, Like I said earlier, the guys are going to move up the most are the closer with the job. And I think you're going to see that with ADP, the Mark Melanson, Keone Kella, Joey Menez, and all those guys. Um, I expect them to move up four or five rounds in the main. Um, and I'll probably move them up my rankings as well, almost as, just as much. Um, and then the guys going to go down are the other guys, the Will Smith, the Emilio Pagan. Um, they don't have the job to start. Um, you don't want to take, you don't want to hang, hang out to those guys for a month, hoping they start getting saves. Um, I know some people might draft them to hope for ratios, but 
I have a tough time with that earlier in the season. Um, and I know the guys that are going to move up, the popular answer that I hear everywhere is uh, Jesus Lazardo. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go on a bit of a rant. Um, I know everyone's talking about that he's going to move up. There's no uh, pitch limit. You got to get uh, no innings limit. Sorry. Um, he's going to go. Usually, I think they were talking about 130, 140 innings in the short season. Go, he can go deeper, but like he's not going to pitch six innings per start. They're going to start two, three, four innings. And then maybe for his last eight, nine starts, he's going to average five, five and a half innings. So um, if you put that over full season, it's going to end up being the same 130, 140 that we talked about. And he's a guy that, from what I saw, he's probably moving up two, three, four, five rounds. Um, yeah. And for me, that's just crazy. Um, yeah, Lazardo's moving up way too much. And yeah. what, I went through there, like, the talent's undeniable. The kid's really, really good. He's going to be a great pick in 2021. Yeah, but um, this year it's just tough. Like the comparison I want to compare him to is remember when Chris Paddock started last season and he struggled to get through five most times and it took a long time before he found like the sixth or seventh inning and starts. Yeah, I could see similarities here. I'm with you there. Yeah, exactly. And I think I read, I think he went his career. I think he went over five innings in the majors only once or twice. Um, Something crazy like that. have to pull up the stat, but it's something crazy like that. Like he's not going to go six innings. Um, there's no way. Maybe later in the year if he's doing well, but I mean, if the Oakland's going to have what three, four extra um, bullpen guys for the first few weeks, and then extra two or three after that, they're going to use those. They're going to put Lazardo maybe two, three innings, then have someone else go after that, and they're going to be really careful with them, um, especially with the short ramp up. So, um, yeah, I'm staying way off of him. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that one. My buddy Yancey Eaton, that Yancey Eaton, he always has a, a good, a good off the wall <laughs> question for us. So, when is Phil going to actually add a cover photo to his profile? Phil, you have an answer for Yancey? Yeah, I did that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> he messaged me about that. I think uh, two weeks ago, he told me, "I'll promote you on Twitter, but you got to get a cover photo." <laughs> you know what to do? And then this morning, uh, I ended up putting the uh, the plan for the possible expo stadium in downtown montreal i'm i'm in the montreal area we're hoping to get the expos back at some point uh so that'd, be awesome. awesome. that'd be a good one <laughs> yeah that'd be cool i get montreal needs baseball back it's as simple i don't want to i've gone on a rant about that before just as a baseball fan so I, i'm not going to do it again but they, they need baseball back That's and i guess silly. people from outside of montreal don't really understand it but they used to play at olympic stadium which is about yep. a 30 minute subway ride from downtown and you were just locked in. Um, they couldn't open up the roof, but it 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 just it's just a bad building to, for baseball. You were far from the field. Um, I went there when I was a kid, when I was six, seven years old, my first base, baseball games. Um, and then, so if they can build a stadium downtown where people get off work at five and then just walk to the stadium or take a five minute subway ride, um, it's going to be completely different. Oh, yeah, you get the businesses around it, the people around it. You can go grab a drink or some food and go to the game. That changes everything. That's yeah, a game it, what it is for hockey. I mean, obviously, people love hockey here. They love love the Canadians. But um, the, this, the arena is right downtown, and people get off work, and they go to games. So um, mm-hmm. especially in the summer, baseball is a great sport for that. You, I don't know, you go to stadium, eat, drink a beer, talk with work buddies, Um it's the perfect sport for that. So um, you need a stadium downtown. So I'm hoping they 
they get a team. Hopefully, not a half team with the Rays. Um, I'm yeah, hoping with horrible with all of this this money stuff. Um, the MLB might want to push up expansion because it's basically free money for them. Whether it's I, think, I don't know 500 million billion whatever it is, um, it's free money that they spit that they split among all the owners. So if they want to get some money back. Um, I'm hoping they maybe push up expansion and figure it out, and we can get a team here. <laughs> That'd be cool. I'd be all for it. Uh, Steven Humans asks, thoughts on Yasiel Puig? Do you think he gets signed? I think he does. Do you think he gets signed? Yeah, he gets signed for sure. I mean, I think the only reason he wasn't signed is they put a freeze on on moves. Um, Agreed. His value is going to depend. I heard the Giants. Um, mm-hmm. That'd be probably the worst spot for his value. <laughs> Even yeah. for him, probably looking to sign a one-year deal. And then get a better deal next year. Um, the Cubs would be a great landing spot. Um, he'll probably end up in Indiana because basically there's 15 UDH jobs and a bunch of NL teams sort of probably got caught off guard and they can use an extra player. So um, there's he'll probably find a job in the NL somewhere and hopefully he can he can he can perform. Yeah, I know the Giants have a spot for him. Fantasy wise, not ideal. Cubs would be good. I also think Miami, not fantasy wise, but. A Cuban player in Miami, I think, could be a, a steal. Yeah. Given, I know they don't have fans for the games, but just the merchandise and everything they could sell, they'd he they'd pay for the salary real quick with him yeah. there. So I could see that one. Uh, Rob DiPietro, big fan of yours, Phil. Big fan <laughs> of yours. Um, are we expecting even more progressive approach in handling of pitchers from teams this year? Uh, we kind of hit that already, and then also he's interested in how you are adjusting for SGP in a shortened season. Does that method take too much of a hit in 60 games? Does it make sense to PVM instead? You so you, you kind of talked about that already. <laughs> yeah, what is PVM? That's the other one I was wondering. What is PVM? It's yeah, I looked it up. It, it's called percentage valuation method. Um, okay. Basically, what you do is you look at, say, 15 team league, 14 hitters. So the top 210 hitters, you add up all those stats. And then if someone gets, I don't know, 1% of RBIs, um, that's his value. You sort of look by category, which each player is getting in terms of percentage. I think you add that up after that. Um, sure. The way I'm doing with SGP, SGP is for a full season. I'm just multiplying all my projections by 2.7 um, from 60 to 162. Um, you turn 60 game projections into 162. Um, and I think that's about it. Um, obviously for me, I told you my whole system is built around SGP, so I'm not going to change everything. I'm just just the short season um i'm just multiplying steamers projections and pod projections which i'm, I'm hoping are going to come out multiply those by 2.7 and then use the same system i'm using as i've always done and hope hope it works out sweet sweet um yeah because pvm no idea but um i think whatever like, method yeah. you use though i mean people are thinking pvm is better there's a big debate um you always have to adjust. I mean, I use SGP. I told you I calculate based on the standings, but you always have to adjust uh, based on your league. Um, the way I do it, I think Rod, Rob Silver would, would love this. He loves mock, mock drafts. Um, yeah, big fan. I, I do big solo fan. mock drafts, so it's even more exciting. Um, <laughs> basically, I just take my spreadsheet, sort of by ADP, pretend I'm team eight, whatever. Um, and then the top seven draft just based on ADP. I make my pick, and then everyone drafts based on ADP. Um, and then it's a great way to test things out because I usually try to get the top guy in my rankings. I do the whole draft. It takes, I don't know, 30 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And then I look at my team. Is it balanced? Is it, uh, do I have more stolen bases in my short and stolen bases? You do that for a few spots in the draft. So instead of 
doing mock drafts that don't matter. You just sort of do it for yourself in Excel really quickly. Um, and it's a great way for positions as well. If in your rankings, every time your pick is up, you always have short stops at the top, well, maybe you should bump them down because you're, what you're going to do is you're going to end up dra- drafting short stops in the fourth and fifth round. And then in the 10th round, 11th round, 12th round, the top guy in your rankings is shortstop. So you're going to look further down in your rankings just because you took shortstop earlier. So um, I try to adjust my rankings that way for position scarcity, for by category. And once I do solo mock drafts, like I like to call them for fun, um, and once I know I'm building balanced teams and I can pretty much every time take someone in my top two or three in my rankings, it tells me, and I end up with a balanced team, it tells me, okay, my rankings are pretty good. I'm valuing categories properly. Because um, even based on SGP, if you value steals perfectly, if people are pushing them up, you have to push them up. Um, mm-hmm. It's So no matter what method you use, you can use PVN, you can use whatever method you want. You have to adjust it based on what you, ex- what you expect your league to do. Where do you do these solo mock drafts at? I just do it in Excel. I, I take my, oh, okay. my rankings. I have ADP okay. on there. I just sort by ADP. And then gotcha. I'll just put an X for one through seven. And then, okay, I'm teammate. Who's the top guy? Okay, I'll, take, I'll drop down a few spots, take my guy. And then nine, I just put Xs for ADP and so on. So I assume everyone drafts gotcha. based on ADP, which isn't perfect. But um, it gives an idea of in the average draft or say everyone drafts based on ADP, who's going to be available to me at, at every pick. Gotcha. Uh, Steve Waymer asks, as a follow-up, or actually, yeah, as a follow-up, do you weight all categories equally in generating player values, or do you weight them differently based on reliability of underlying projections like gaze or more than walk, market trends, in-season ability, something along those lines? So are they all equal, or do you weight them differently? Um, on the pitching side, I trust the SJP. Um, I mentioned earlier, with pitching, I think it's pretty easy to adjust in-season. Um, if you're doing well in ratios, you can take a chance with two start pitchers. Um, if you're struggling in ratios, you can, you can try to punt them if you want just to cash. Um, or you can just try a couple middle relievers if you're already doing, doing well in case and wins. Um, there's always options for hitting. The one category I'll bump up is probably stolen bases because I don't want to be short in stolen bases. Um, I mentioned earlier with average, with home runs, with runs, with RBIs, you can always find a hitter on fab who's going to have four games in Baltimore and Detroit. Um, and you can get average or power that way if you need to. Uh, with stolen bases, it's really hard. There's a few guys. Last year, I got lucky with John Birdie. I was short on sales, got lucky with them late in the year. Uh, but they don't come up every year. And it's hard to find them. And everyone's on them. Um, so, And if, usually if they're available, they're going to be expensive. So um, while the streaming headers you can find for a dollar or two, every week you just have to put in the work. So. Um, that's sort of the way I do it. I don't want to be short on steals. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's one of those categories. Hardest one to find out there. Um, Mr. Dave McDonald. This will start our (laughs) Dave McDonald segment of the show. Um, Explain your process for evaluating hitters and pitchers. How do you get your stuff rating for pitchers? What stats do you look at for hitters? What else goes into your evaluations, et cetera, et cetera? A, he wants to know how to compete with you. (laughs) <laughs> but B, he's also cur- he's also kind of curious on your method, basically. Yeah, I talked about my system a little bit earlier. Um, one of the metrics I use, I told Dave about it. It's, it's stuff, um, stuff. Sorry, um, it's one of the seventeen I found. Basically, I just look at fan graphs. I look at every. I say I look at. I download all the data because I, I 
don't look at it individually, but um, I compare each starter's fastball, slider, curve, whatever, with the league average. So in terms of velo and movement. So if a starter has his fastball with better velo, better movement, he gets a certain ratings, a certain percentage advantage, whatever. Um, and then I just came up with a metric for that. Um, I tested it and it, it helped out the ranking. So um, it's not, it's not like I said, it's nothing complicated. Some people who look, um, they'll watch Syndergaard pitch and they know he has a great slider or whatever. I'm not good with that stuff. I don't have the experience. So I try to come up with, with metrics like that, that are the same stuff that everyone else looks at, but um, just quantify everything. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's go to Dave's next question here. Uh, he asks, how far behind less than Dave will you finish in the main event this year, assuming there is one which you both will be in? Um, will you come in second overall behind him, or will there be a further gap between you two? Did he mention his question that he finished 10th last and I was 8th? <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to when he listens to that. Part. I keep making I fun of Nick because of that. It's, I know I have. I can make fun of him at least for the next few months because I finished ahead of him last year. So <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you plan on beating him this year? I'm assuming so. Yes. Yeah, of course. It's funny. I think Toby <laughs> was 9th last year, so it was funny that we're all, right, all, all you guys right there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, he says you're new to fantasy baseball. You're new, but kicking everyone's butt. So, <laughs> um, talk about how that could have both positive and negative impacts on you. For example, being new, perhaps you don't suffer from the same biases and bad practices that people who have played this game for a long time still have. So, what are some pros and cons of being new? I guess. Um, in my first year, I thought it really helped. It was crazy. Um, 2017 was different with pitchers and all that stuff, but. Um, I started the draft, the team that finished, well, I think I had Sale, Kluber, and then I had Jansen and another closer. I started with four pitchers and then just got hitters from there. And I went that way just because it was what the numbers told me. And if you'd have spoken to any experienced player, even when I mentioned it on Twitter a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and everyone's like, there's no way you can win with that. There's no way. It doesn't make sense. Um but that year, it's how the data worked out. So um, I think that was an advantage where I just didn't pay attention to uh, what people said, the biases, the things that people are used to. Oh, you can't draft two starters. Um, you can't draft two closers to start to, in third and fourth round. Um, but I did it because that's what the numbers told me. And that worked out well that year. Um, but since then, baseball changed. So um now it's different, but that part of it does help. Um, the one thing that's tougher is um, I don't have the baseball knowledge that other people have. Like I said, someone's going to look at someone's slider. Okay, that's good. I got to be on that guy this year. Um, some players are really good, um, and they know, like, they know who this year's Gialuto is going to be because they know what pitches he has. Um, mm-hmm. I have to find the data to prove that he can be good. Sometimes it doesn't show up in the data. Sometimes it does. So um, it's different ways of doing things. I think both have advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, no, and that's a good point. That's one thing for me I've always said is I, I feel pretty confident in my hitting analysis. Like I could break down a hitter. I can look at the stats. Pitching, it's still a year-by-year growth for me. I'm still trying to develop all that kind of stuff. It's just, I guess I, I wasn't a pitcher back in the day, so I can't. It doesn't like it doesn't sink in with me as much as other like yeah. you're saying they can see 
the pitch mix change. And I'm like this year, I started to be able to see it more. Like we talked about Alcantara and uh, Matt and these other guys that you saw the second half adjustments that really were strong. That maybe could be something to look forward to. I could never see that before. So that's a uh, little things like that. Uh, next question from Dave: Who has helped you grow as a fantasy player, and how? Um. I'll have to just say Dave for at first, just because to make him feel good. Um, <laughs> we've been talking on Twitter for the past. We didn't really know each other. We've been talking on Twitter for like a month. Um, and then we, I guess we can say we became best buddies on Twitter. Uh, just because Dave does things really differently. Um, he looks at the, pretty much the exact same. It, I saw his closer rankings. I think you talked about it them with him. Um, I have rankings that are really similar to him, but I do it totally different way. So, um, just bouncing ideas off of him. He tells, okay, I look at that. Okay. I'll see if I can add it to my system. Um, so that's one thing. Um, now other people that really helped, um, it's really the podcast. I said, uh, guys like Jeff Erickson, Scott Jenstad, I listen to every week. Um, Chris Liss on the Shirt XM show. And then the Rob Silver, Jeff Zimmerman, their launch angle podcast. I listen to those every week. And, um, Jeff Zimmerman's really good with numbers too. I think he does things really close to the way I do it. So a lot of the ideas for my system came from him, from his book as well with Tanner Bell. Um, they're just ideas I find from players with more experience than I have. And then I figure out what, what did they look at and then try to try to quantify it, um, add it to my system. Yeah, no, you, Jeff working with Tanner, it's a great combo. And there's just so many good resources out there. So uh, it's good to hear um yourself as a as a very successful nfpc player still pays attention to all those resources because some people think that they're you know we don't need this stuff but you're you're right there soaking it up like a sponge and that's uh i do it like during my day when i'm in my truck i listen to podcasts all day not always yeah. baseball podcasts but i listen to podcasts all the time just trying to learn things so 100 percent with you there next dave question <laughs> how much should how much should we be moving NL pitchers down and AL pitchers up? Tell the people how big of an effect the NLDH is. Phil has nailed this one already. But if you want to give a real brief recap for anybody that might have, you know, stepped out of the room for a minute, how would you uh, change those things? Um, I'm going to say the way I look at it, because I know, I think Matt Modica looks at it completely different, and he's a really good player as well. Um, the way my math tells me it's about five, six spots up and down in the middle rounds. Um, in the early rounds, it might be one or two spots. Um, the biggest change for me, I, I had Cole and DeGrom pretty close to each other, and now Cole's my number one pitcher by far. Um, so um, things like that. I think I gave Dave an example of um, if I ran the basic math over – not really basic math, but <laughs> I ran my SGP. Um, <laughs> and over a 34-start season um, – two pitchers with the exact same stats. Um, the one um, that doesn't face, the, uh, sorry, the one that's going to face the DH, it's the equivalent of three fewer wins. Um, that's roughly what it gave me. So three wins is huge. Um, so it's spread out across all categories, but if you want just one number to represent what it is for a pitcher that throws, that pitches for uh, 34 games, it's about three wins in terms of value. So it's huge. Um I know others are going to look at it differently. Um, Matt Modica is more, uh, he doesn't look at stats as much as I do, but he's been really, really successful. So he has another way of thinking. Um, and then I guess we'll find out who's who's right this year. 
<laughs> yeah, it'll be fun to to see because he is a very very talented player. So yeah, that's one thing. That's one thing I love. Like I kind of said it earlier, and we've talked about it. Is there's so many good players, so many different ways to play the game. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, sometimes we're both kind of right, and it's it's just that's what makes it so much fun. Is you can evaluate things so in so many different versions and ways and directions, and sometimes it gets you where you need to go, and sometimes it kind of you need to detour and come back. So. It's a, a such a fun with, game. Um, with Matt Modica and um, Gecko on Twitter. Um, <laughs> both of them are great players, and we have three different ways of looking at it. Gecko was, I'm sort of doing the same for all pitchers, uh, and Gecko was, um, he's looking at it pitcher by pitcher. Some pitchers get, were better against other pitchers, so uh, they're going to move down more. Some pitchers weren't as good, so it won't make as much a difference for them. Um, it's just different ways of looking at it, and we don't know exactly what's going to be, but um, we're taking our best guess and hoping, hoping we're right. No doubt about it. Uh, we already hit on Dave's closer question, so we're good there. And that takes us to the last question of the night from Dave. Um, <laughs> what do you think will be the differentiator that separates the overall winning team, he says his, in the <laughs> NFBC this year? So what do you think – on the shortened season, when we're all trying to speculate, you know, the craziness that's going to take place, whatever it is, what do you think the differentiator is between the winning team and everybody else? If Dave wins, it's going to be roster construction and risk management. And he's going to talk about that for the next six months, <laughs> maybe longer. So I don't think we want that to happen. <laughs> um, I think if you get through the season, um, it won't be that much different than previous years. Obviously, you, you're going to want – you always need above average injury luck. So this year it's going to be above average injury and COVID luck, um, which is hard to predict. You probably, like I said, there might be small indicators early on. But um, if it get crazy, if it gets crazy where there's a team with 10, 15 players that test positive, um, they're going to change something. So um, if we get through it, I think it's going to be the same as the other years. Um, draft the right players, make the right moves in fab, and hope for the best. Yeah, for me, I, I've thought about it a bit. It's, I think it relates to your fab answer there. I think it's going to be who can decide to get, like, really get the drop a guy faster, not yeah. hold on to him as long. Because, yeah. you know, in a longer season, you can have a couple weeks or a couple bad starts or something to kind of see how it goes before you, you pull the pin. Whoever can decide, you know what, this is not going to work. I need to go the fastest and the most accurate. That's going to be the person that really has some success. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Especially with um, sometimes it happens with um, 50-50 closers. He mm -hmm. gets to save one night, and then you don't know the next night it's someone else. And then figuring out, do you keep that guy? Do you start him? Do you drop him? Because um, mm -hmm. if you start someone who thinks you're, he's going to be a closer, you put him for a week, he gets nothing. You just wasted one pitcher spot, and you get I think it's be nine weeks, nine spots. That's eight, eighty-one spots in total. If you waste one, two, three for a week, um, it's going to hurt much more than usual. So, um, yeah, you're right. Making the right moves at the right time is is going to be huge. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. But one thing I do know, Phil, we're going to wrap this up, and this was a blast getting to talk to you. Um, do you have any? Any final words for the listeners as we get ready to actually play fantasy baseball this season before we head on out? Um, one thing I'm trying to set up, um, I spoke to Greg about it for those who play the NFBC main event. I'm trying to set up a sort of live main event on Zoom. Um, that would so be cool. 
Um, Greg said he's going to monitor it probably with a six pack of Corona. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the one thing he said is we probably have to get a job, uh, sorry, a date before uh, July 17th. So an early man to make sure there's only one because he can't make sure that we're all in the same one. Um, yeah. So anyone interested, uh, message me, find me on Twitter, uh, Phil Duso 27 and I'm going to try to set that up because we're not going to have live mains this year. But if we can do one on Zoom and talk about it while we're doing it, uh, I think it'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. And uh, maybe maybe I'll reach out to Greg and see if he wants some help uh, having a, a, a moderator or something to uh, have some fun with this. But yeah. uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, and you guys should follow Phil on Twitter, like you said. You're not going to regret it. Lots of fun, lots of great conversation. Super knowledgeable, as you can tell, in his three years of outstanding fantasy baseball experience i'm just blown away when you said 2017 was your first year that is i've been playing this thing 15 16 years you've you've accomplished a lot that's all i'm gonna say a lot really quickly so kudos to you and uh thanks for joining me phil i look forward to, to sitting down and chat with you again sometime that was that was a pleasure getting to chat with you thanks that was awesome a lot of fun all right buddy check him out on twitter at phil duso 27 uh, you're not going to regret it, but everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 298. Talking, we have baseball. That's all I'm going to say. We have baseball, and I'll catch you guys later. 